Bible study. We all need that, right? I'm here because I believe in the Bible, and I believe in the Old Testament, and I love reading the Old Testament and teaching it because of its similarities and parallels uh, to the New Testament. There's so many, and it's so beautiful. Tonight, I'm going to bring out some. Uh, Before we get into our Bible study, there's a couple announcements. After uh, church tonight in the chapel store, we're having donuts and chapurado. Was that right? That's what we're having. Whatever that is. What is that? Is that good? Do you like that? Who likes that? Okay, all the Hispanic people love it. I don't even know what it is, but it sounds good. And uh, <laughs> sounds great. Um, we also, we just got this new shipment. You can't even tell. This is the uh, Calvary Chapel white. It's the white sticker with the Calvary Chapel San Bernardino. And you put it on your window of your car. It's a back window of your car. It's all white. You've seen those? You know, kind of trans. You see through the window and the glasses. We've got these new ones. Um, we're just charging what they cost us. If you want to put one on your car, it's cool. They're five bucks. And they're in the, the chapel store. Really, it's just kind of get the name out, see it on the highway. I like seeing them on the highway as I'm driving around. I've got one on my car. I really like mine. So we made some. And if you want one, they're in the chapel store as well. Well, here we are in chapter 7 of Numbers. So let's open our Bibles there. Uh, chapter 7 of the Old Testament book of Numbers. Now, I want you to look at that chapter. I'm going to give you just a couple seconds here to look at that chapter. I want you to notice something special about that chapter. What do you notice when you look at that chapter? Like, is it long or what? This is the second longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, of course, is the longest chapter in the Bible, if you can consider that Psalm 119 a chapter. I mean, it's almost a a book. But uh, this is the second to the longest chapter in the Bible. You'll you'll discover that there's repetition in there. We're not going to read the whole thing because it really repeats itself again and again and again, and and I'll show you that too. So don't worry. If you didn't bring your backrest or a blanket or whatever, we're going to just do our normal Bible study tonight. You'll, You'll get out of here. Uh, in time. But this whole section of Numbers is the preparation for the children of Israel to leave Mount Sinai. The Hebrews are going to leave Mount Sinai after being there for a year, after their deliverance from Egypt. They've been at Mount Sinai for a year. And God has been speaking to Moses. He's been going up and down and up and down Mount Sinai. Clouds, fire, God speaking the earth shaking to Moses, and Moses comes down to his people and tells them and speaks to them. And so far, every time God looks at his people, they're doing something wrong, and he's got to correct them, correct them. Tonight in this chapter, we're going to find out that they're doing something right. It's a good thing. And so this is, this is an interesting chapter. It ends with that, with God really uh, pleased with his people. But uh, he's preparing his people for this long journey Uh, march through the desert from Mount Sinai to the promised land, that land that God promised their forefathers, Abraham, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so God is preparing his people. That's what we've been reading about the whole end of the book of Exodus and here in the very opening chapters of Numbers. This is God preparing his people to leave Mount Sinai and move into the desert. And it's really interesting. Tonight we get this 12-day 
feast. Jews are known for celebrations. If you've ever been to Israel, you, you, you see that, you feel that, you sense that. God has prepared feasts for his people. And his people, they love to feast together. They get their families together. They love to eat together. Tonight, they're going to bring gifts and offerings to the tabernacle before they're ready to, to move out. God is now with them. He's dwelling in the tabernacle. And they're going to, they know God's there in the tabernacle. So they bring their gifts to him, all 12 tribes. So that's the repetition that you'll see tonight is you'll see each tribe brings the same thing. And so we get each tribal name and the same thing that they bring in the next tribal name on the second day and on the third day. And on the, so there's 12 days of this feast where the tribal leader comes in and he offers the special things that we'll read about and the offerings and the sacrifices to God. So that's really the repetition there, so don't worry about that. But it's a beautiful section of Scripture that really helps us to understand how we're to worship the Lord, what we're to bring to God. And in the New Testament, as we apply the old to the new, we see that, that we as people are to bring something to God. And I'm not just talking about money. In this instance, they're bringing valuable things. But it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter. I call it or named it Gifts from the Twelve Tribes. And we'll read this first section after we pray. Let's ask God's blessing tonight in prayer. Father, we count it a privilege to join together in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, tonight. And we turn to this Old Testament, these wonderful books written by the hand of Moses, but truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we come to your word tonight believing that it's true. Every word of it is true. And so, Lord, teach us from its truths, things that we can apply into our lives today, and how we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace and the mercy that we even sang about tonight, your mercy, and how it's displayed so wonderfully even in our text tonight. So share with us, speak to us. We're ready to receive from you. And Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's just read this first uh, few verses here in Numbers chapter 7. Now it came to pass, when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle. So there's the idea. We're in this time of Exodus, really the end of the book of Exodus, where the tabernacle is now funded. It's, it's built and this is what happened. So we're, we're not looking really at chronological order here. Verses 7, 8, and 9 are, are really uh, back in Exodus somewhere at the end of the building of the tabernacle. So that's where we're at. Uh, the Bible isn't always chronologically in order. But the idea that they're getting ready to go on the journey is. And so Moses had just finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings and the altar and all his utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Then, verse 2, the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's houses, who were the leaders of the tribes, and over those who were numbered, made an offering. So the first six chapters of the book of Numbers is the numbering of the people, right? We number the fighting men, we number the Levites, we number all the people. That's the title of the book, Numbers. And so that's why this is out of chronological order, because the book of Numbers is, is numbering people, but we, now we come back to this ceremony that really took place back in Exodus. They brought their offering before the Lord, verse 3, six covered carts, 
and 12 oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. So they bring these gifts to the tabernacle that's just been dedicated and consecrated. Then, verse 4, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So all these gifts are going to be used for the, the benefit of the priests and the work of the tabernacle, that holy consecrated place where God dwells, where the sins are, are uh, taken care of through sacrifices, all the work that's done there at the tabernacle. So Moses took the carts and the oxen, verse 6, and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon. Remember the, the three sons of the Levites, the three sons that are, are going to be doing this specific work with the tabernacle, moving it, set, tearing it down, setting it up, moving it through the, the uh, desert. So the carts were given to the Levites, two and four to Gershon according to their service. Four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service under the authority of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. But to the sons of Koath, he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. Now, verse 10, the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one liter each day. For the dedication of the altar. Twelve leaders, so it's going to be twelve days. And the one, verse 12, who offered his offering on the first day, we're beginning now, is Nachshon, is his name, I won't say that again, the son of Aminadab from the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. Verse 14, and they offered one gold spoon or a pan of 10 shekels full of incense, spoonful of incense, and one young bull, verse 15, and a ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. One kid of the goats as a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Aminadab. Now from verse 18 all the way through to verse 83, the other 11 tribal leaders do exactly the same thing. So if you get bored with my teaching tonight, you can... Check out the verses and read through that. And by the time you get done, maybe I'll be done. But really, that's, you'll just see this repetition. It goes over each one of the, the, the leaders of the tribe, whom, by the way, we would know nothing of unless they were mentioned here. There's no other mention of Nechshon anywhere in the Bible. But he's mentioned here. And he's mentioned because God wants, I believe, to honor his obedience and coming to the tabernacle and offering for his tribe what God required. 
And so, again, you wouldn't see his name or the other 12 names. You'd never see them unless they were recorded right here. So there's something special about this chapter and the Holy Spirit recording each day and each name and the, the repetitive offering. There's a reason for that, and we're supposed to get that. I'll try to bring that out as we go through um, the text. But there's 12 consecutive days here, and the record of repetition for each one of the tribal leaders who's bringing the sacrifice. So again, why does God do that? Well, my first answer is because God wants to honor that obedience in these men that are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. We have Nathaniel and Elib, and on and on it goes. But it's their obedience to the Lord, and it's their offering that they give to the Lord that God honors and he loves, and he loves their obedience. Because so far, these people haven't been that obedient, as you recall. And every time God has to talk to them, he's got to reprimand them in some way. But not this time. This time, they're obedient as they begin to honor God in the tabernacle by bringing exactly what he wanted, what he has asked for, what he has required. I I believe, again, the Holy Spirit wants you and I to read this and to read it over and over and over 12 times so that we'll get the idea, too, that, that God has a way that he wants to be worshiped and honored and that we don't worship God on our corporate service worship times, or maybe individually as you worship the Lord. We don't worship the Lord the way it turns our crank, the way we want to do it. We should worship the Lord to honor him. He should be the one that we desire to honor in our worship. It's one of those things as a worship leader for over 25 years here at this church. I was the worship leader, and for, for all that time, I used to watch people worship the Lord, and I was wondering as I stood right here where my son is tonight and I looked out over the congregation, what people were thinking of, were they really here to worship God? Did they really come to to worship God with their whole heart or were they just here to be entertained, to get out of the cold? You know, we're coming to church to get out of the cold. What is your heart's desire tonight? Did you come to worship the Lord? Because when you come obediently, And you give the Lord what he desires. He's honored and you're blessed. I know that as a fact. And really, that's what we're going to see here as these people, they're bringing their gift that God required and they're doing it willingly and they're doing it voluntarily. And it blesses the heart of God. And as we'll see at the very end of the, the text tonight, God's pleased with that. But first notice, here in these first couple of verses, I'm just gonna break down the first section And we won't do all 89 verses, don't worry. But let me break down the first section here. I'm calling it wagons to transport the tabernacle. Notice in verse 3, and they brought their offering before the Lord. Notice what they bring, six covered wagons. I always think of the gold rush day wagons. And 12 oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. So they're getting ready to transport, right? The tabernacle is the portable sanctuary of God. It's not the permanent temple that you have in your mind in Israel right now. There's the temple mount or the pictures in your Bible of of the temples of old, including Solomon's temple and the biggest temple that 
that we see the footprint of even today in Jerusalem. This is a movable sanctuary. Now, the whole end of Exodus, I think it's chapter 26 all the way through 40, it's preparing to build the temple, the people giving all their gifts, and then the construction of the, uh, not the temple, the tabernacle, the portable sanctuary. But now they built it. Moses has consecrated it, and he's got to help his people understand, now this is how you're going to move it through the desert on this journey. And so he's preparing them. He's called them to do this, and they gladly bring. They bring the wagons. The, you could call them the U-Haul of their day. They've they got to move. They've got to pack up the tabernacle and all of its curtains and all of the poles and all the silver uh, anchors that went around the courtyard and then all the boards and all the outer coverings of the tabernacle itself have to be packed away and, and stowed and traveled and moved through the, the desert. So how do they do it? They have this covered carts or wagons, as I call them. Now, re, you have to remember this, too. The tabernacle not only represented the dwelling presence of God, but he was going to be with him the whole time. Remember, as we study the book of Exodus, that's one of the glorious things about the Old Testament. God has always wanted to be with his people, but his people, through their disobedience, God had to separate himself from their sin. But it's always been the heart of God to dwell with his people, to be close to his people. From the time in the garden where, where we see God walking with Adam and even the cool of the evening until they sin and they're cast out of the garden. It's always been God's heart to dwell with his people. And we saw that in the book of Exodus, how the tabernacle was prepared so that God could come. And remember, it was the last chapter of Exodus, chapter 40, where God finally comes when the temple is consecrated. And the, the Shekinah glory of God, the cloud by day and the, the glow, the fire, the, the glowing candles fire that came out from the top, representing the presence of God was with his people. But now they have to move the tabernacle. It's got to move with the people. And when the cloud during the day moves away from the tabernacle, that means all the people are saying, oh, we're here and we need to be over there because that's where the cloud went. So they had to pack everything up. I'm thinking that, and I think I've already mentioned this, that this, this portable tabernacle wouldn't take that long to break down. And now it's movable because it's going to go on wheels, most of it. The heavy stuff's going to be thrown on the carts, and then the different families are to, you know, make sure that it gets moved to its next location and then set it up again. But it's, it's beautiful the way this works out and that God has, has provided for its moving. Now, if I was going to move the tabernacle, or if I was part of the family to move the tabernacle, that would be okay. But if my family was tasked to move the ark... I'm not sure I'd, I'd want that task. Remember, it's kind of like a nuclear reactor. You're, you're moving this portable reactor. It's, this thing's volatile. You don't want to touch this thing <laughs> because you touch it, you're going to die. And God had specific ways that he wanted that handled as well. So this is God, again, organizing his people. He's getting them, uh, giving them all the tools they need. The, the wagon. They're actually coming from the people, the wagons, the oxen, coming from these people. But God's going to use it, and it's his direction that brings them together. And they bring a total of six wagons, one for every two leaders. And each leader gets an ox. So there's 12 ox. I, I'm imagining two ox per wagon, obviously. 
And then look at verse 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So they were bringing these, these oxen in the wagons, and they were offering it to the Lord. This, and, and so God says, I'm pleased with that. That's what I need. That's what I want. So Moses, you accept their offering. This, is, this pleases me. And that's, that's, that's a really important point to, to recognize that because, as I've said, thus far the people have been anything but obedient. And then he says, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. Verse 6, so Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Now this next section, verse 7 through 9, we get the distribution of the wagons and how, how they're going to be used in the different families. Two carts. Verse 7, four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. Eight and four carts and eight oxen, or verse 8, pardon me, four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But, verse 9, to the sons of Koath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. So each one of these families, Gershon gets this. Now, remember, according to chapter 4, Gershon was the family that was responsible for all the outer uh, courtyard. So uh, those heavy uh, uh, poles and the, the silver anchors that weighed a couple hundred pounds, and then all the fabric that went all the way around the courtyard. So they're responsible for that. And then Merari gets four carts because he gets the tabernacle. And the tabernacle actually wasn't just only covered with fabric and multi-layers of fabric. Finally, with that, remember the, the weatherproof fabric or the weatherproof, it, it was, it's called, uh, 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 it's not whale, it's the skins, the seal skins or whatever. It was like, like this fabric that went over the outside to keep it waterproof. So all of that has to be bundled up. And then the weight of the boards, because there's boards in, the, taber in the, the tabernacle itself. Even though it's a small, remember, 15 by 45, 15 feet wide, 45 feet long. Even though it's small, it's still heavy. It's very weighty. So they have to transport that. He's given four carts and eight oxen, and they transport all the heavy stuff. Now, Koath... No carts, no ox. And the reason uh, is obvious there. They were responsible to carry the furnishings and all the utensils that were used inside. And they were to carry it on their shoulders. Remember in the book of Exodus how each one of those furnishings had rings on it. And then there were poles and the poles were to go through the rings, and they weren't to touch like the ark. And so they're going to carry that on their back, meaning the poles go over their shoulders, and the ark is in between a couple of guys, and they walk so far and probably switch it out, because all these things were covered with gold. They must have been really heavy. And so it's the sons of Koath that were not allowed to use wagons for their work. Again, I just draw your attention to Uzzah when David was bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. And it was Uzzah who was walking next to the cart, and the cart stumbled. The Bible says it stumbled, and the ark was going to fall off this open cart. And Uzzah, just out of the 
kindness of his heart reached up to steady it so it wouldn't fall off. You remember 2 Samuel? And then he died. Why? Because God has instructions about how he's, his things are to be handled, how he's to be working. David was mad. If you remember that story, he got mad. He was mad at the Lord for doing that. But the, the truth of the matter was that God had a certain way to be worshipped, a certain way for his things to be handled, and you had to be obedient. And in the case of Uzzah, he died. Now, here's the application for the Kohathites and the fact that they were to carry this burden or carry it on their shoulders rather than put it into wagons. In the life of the New Testament believer, that would be you and I as Christians, each and every one of you, wait, maybe I should ask it this way. And, and I, let me ask the question. And I want you to raise your hand. If, raise your hand, if you are either under now or have been under some kind of burden, raise your hand. Raise it up high so I can see. Everyone in here should raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you're lying right now. In other words, we as Christians go through trials, don't we? We go through rough times. And wouldn't you consider those things as burdens? And so what I'm proposing to you is that just as the Kohathites were, were called to carry these important furnishings on their shoulders, God in the New Testament allows you and I to carry burdens. And I don't raise your hand this time, but some of those burdens last for months and maybe even years, wouldn't you agree? Some of you maybe have carried a burden that God has allowed in your life. Just like these guys are carrying the burden of God, God allows us to carry a burden. Here's a great verse. It's in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, where it says, For each one shall bear his own burden. Now, this is the section where Paul is teaching that we... When we see a brother or sister in Christ struggling, that we're to bear their burden, remember? That as a Christian, the church is important because you can relieve some of your burden to your brother or sister in Christ if you, you know, fellowship a lot, if you have close ties with brothers. And that's why I love to see you on Wednesday night. I don't always share my burden, but sometimes you'll share your burden. And we're to bear one another's burden. And God allows us to have that burden, as this verse here in Galatians 6 tells us, God gives us a burden. But here's the glorious truth about burdens. God loves you, he's merciful, and he'll never give you more than you can handle. Well, you might say, well, I don't know about that. I, I've been under a burden for quite a while. This is, this, this is heavy. Prove it to me, pastor. Okay, let me give you a scripture. You probably know this scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to what? What does it say? To bear it, to bear the burden. I think that's 13, isn't it? 1013? Yeah, it's not 103. For you observant believers here, it's 1013, I believe. But the idea here is that God will allow you as a, a, a believer to go through things and to bear a burden, but he'll never leave you alone. He'll never leave you in a place where that, you, that burden will take you down. 
because he's going to give you the strength you need to get through it. And sometimes it's barely. You say, well, Pastor Lee, that's happened, but just barely. Well, yeah, but he, he'll bear you up. He'll give you what you need in your burden. The Kohathites couldn't use wagons. They had to bear the heavy furniture on their shoulders. But think about it this way. It was actually a blessing for them. I, I see this as a blessing for the Kohathites here. Why? Because simply to remove the temptation... simply to take those things away from them. They wouldn't grow. I I believe that God uses burdens in my life and in your life to help us to grow. And how do we grow? How does that help you to grow, Pastor Lee? Well, it helps you to grow in your faith and your trust in things you can't see because that's the way the Christian is to live. We live by faith, not by what? By sight. And so God uses burdens in our life so that we'll trust him and that we'll, and he'll prove himself faithful. He'll bear us up, but we need to trust him. I think that God in his grace has given me many burdens in my life. And I get so focused on that burden and I'm praying so much that all the other junk in my life, I don't even see, I'm, I, I don't see it. And that's a blessing too, isn't it? That God focuses our attention on things. He saves me from falling into a deeper sin by bringing a burden into my life. There's a whole bunch of reasons that on this side of of eternity, we won't know or understand what God is doing, but one day we will. Now, notice in verse 10, the leaders. Now, this is one example of one leader, but we're all going to bring the same things. The leaders, they offered a dedication, and I call this how the leaders gave. This is how they gave. They offered their dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. So they brought their offering into that beyond the first veil, that would be in the courtyard, and they would take their offering right up to the altar of sacrifice. If you remember the picture in your mind, we studied this last year. We've been studying all about the construction of the tabernacle and all its importance and the, the altar. You'd walk into the the uh, courtyard, and the first thing you would see would be the altar of sacrifice. There would be blood, there would be dead animals, there would be priests working, cutting, uh, 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 not necessarily barbecuing right there, but they would be cutting and butchering the animal as God prescribed for a sin offering. So you walk into the tabernacle and you know that your sin costs something. The beautiful thing is when you finally, the priest finally got into the tabernacle and beyond the veil, there's the mercy seat of God where the blood of that sacrifice was sprinkled. That represents the blood of Jesus Christ who takes away the sin of the world. That's the glory. That's what we know as New Testament believers. But these these Old Testament, by faith, they would walk in with their sacrifice and before the altar. For the Lord, verse 11, said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar, and the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nachshon, the son of Aminadab from the tribe of Judah. Now, I love the fact that when you read about each one of these tribal leaders and their giving, it's, it's the leader of the tribe, which is a real great, great reminder for anyone in leadership, no matter if you're leading in an ushering or a Sunday school class or or a church, that the leader has an obligation to lead his people, her people, to lead in a way to be first. And 
willing. And that's what we see with all of these leaders. They were willing. They wanted to be obedient. They were, they were just so excited to give, and now they want to, to lead by example. So whether you're a, a pastor, a church leader, these 12 men become really great examples. And again, their names are not recorded anywhere else in the scripture. So their example here, God wants us to know their names. The Holy Spirit's recorded their names for you and I to know. It's because they were obedient here. They were willing. They, they volunteered their wares, their gold, their silver, all of these things to the Lord. Again, the application is that the New Testament believer that comes to church and offers to the Lord tithes and what we call, you'll hear the, my sons and, uh, say tithes and offering. It's, it, technically, it's free will offering. Technically, what you give here is a free will offering. In other words, Pastor Lee isn't in the back row going, okay, I see, how much did you give? Okay, well, you're good. How much? Really? A tip? Are you kidding me? There's nobody recording. It's a free will offering. You come and you give voluntarily to the Lord. And guess who sees it all? Guess who sees it all? Again, these people were coming in obedience. They were coming voluntarily. They were coming um, willingly to give their sacrifice, their gift to the Lord. It's a really important uh, thing to remember that your offering, it's a free will offering. I don't talk a lot about offerings. You, I, I, you know, in the six years I've been senior pastor, I've never done a study on tithing, ever. I should do one. This was a great text. I could do one right out here. You'll, you'll hear it, but it, this, it's, in, it's within this text. I don't talk about it because I believe as God guides this church, he will provide for this church, and it has nothing to do with me jumping up and down and asking you for money. It has everything to do with you being, bringing a voluntary free will gift to the Lord. And it's between you and God. It not, has nothing to do with me. In fact, I don't even know who gives. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll go in the finance room where, where they're working and they're doing things, and I might see a check, and it's almost like, oops, I shouldn't have seen that. I have access. I can look at that stuff, but I don't. I don't want to know. Actually, I don't want to know. It's really between you and the Lord. These people were acting obediently. I think what we're to learn is that we're to be obedient, we're to give freely, we're to give willingly. They didn't have some money-badgering preacher screaming and yelling at them, prodding them to give what they didn't have. 